Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Brian Bahi is a comedian you should know in 2023. That's according to the news and entertainment site Vulture. He's among several Native comics earning mainstream recognition for their work in stand-up, as well as television writing and producing. We'll talk with Native comics breaking into the industry and what's driving their humor. We're back after National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland hosted a press call Tuesday in advance of the 2023 White House Tribal Nations Summit. According to the Biden administration, the summit is an opportunity to strengthen the nation-to-nation relationship with tribes. Holland announced a $45 billion investment in Indian country. These investments are transformative and are addressing issues that for too long have been ignored and which now are having direct and immediate impacts on people's lives. The announcements we make this week are part of the lasting impact we are building in Indigenous communities. The National Congress of American Indians held a tribal leader planning session Tuesday. Attorney Robert Adawi Porter is a former president of the Seneca Nation and now represents tribal clients. He was at the NCAI tribal briefing. Porter says justice issues are among tribal priorities. One of the things that was really coming out today is how do we target the problem in Indian country dealing with fentanyl addiction? And uh, our leaders are working collectively to try to expand tribal criminal jurisdiction over non-Indian drug offenders. This is trying to fix a 50-year problem of the Supreme Court saying tribes don't have jurisdiction over non-Indians. And what we see now with fentanyl and opioids is just an unbelievable epidemic, in part made worse by uh, the lack of jurisdiction. The summit is taking place at the Interior Department Wednesday and Thursday. Fry Bread Face and Me. It's a new feature film out now on Netflix with an all-Native American cast. Clark Adamitis has more. Fry Bread Face and Me is written and directed by Billy Luther, a Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo man in his mid-40s. Luther also narrated parts of the film. My grandmother always spoke to me as if I understood her. English was something she refused to learn. I'm sure she thought one day I'd answer her back in Navajo. It's a coming-of-age story set in the year 1990. An adolescent Navajo boy growing up in San Diego spends the summer with his grandmother on the Navajo Nation. We didn't have to try to get it right. We got it right because we lived this and this was our world. Director Billy Luther says the cast was all Navajo, save one member who is an Alaska native. He also hired Navajo crew members. I just wanted to cast people who understood this Navajo world. Most of these people had to speak um, Navajo, so I just don't see it being any other way. If I w- was working with a non-Native crew, I would have had to kind of tell them how to do it. The film is semi-autobiographical. The protagonist is based largely on Luther's own life, growing up as a Native American child in Southern California. The film explores the different sides of his life and identity. I just tell the story that is uh, true to me growing up off the reservation 
you know, as some would say, an urban Indian, and also being three tribes, um, Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo, they're very different from each other. So my perspective, my outlook, and also just my um, way of life is unique. And I think that's true for majority of Native storytellers, filmmakers, writers, just diving into that um, truth that's going to be authentic. Billy Luther lives in Los Angeles, and he's part of a growing community of Native American filmmakers there. I'm Clark Adamitis. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Skugtash, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, panoli, traditional wheat flowers, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Domnyot. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Contenders by Tracy Sorrell, illustrated by Aragon Star, the story of John Mayers and Charles Bender, the first two native pro baseball players to face off in a World Series. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Mi'kmaq comedian Janelle Niles initially thought an all-Indigenous comedy show in Canada titled Got Land was going to be a one-off deal. But now it's evolved into a platform for First Nations, Métis, and Inuit comedians to express themselves through stand-up. Cowlitz comedian and television writer Joey Clift has been writing on shows for years, with his work featured on Netflix, Comedy Central, and more. And now he's up for an Emmy. Native comedian Brian Bahi is named by Vulture as one of the comedians to watch for in 2023. His stand-up can be seen on Comedy Central and the website Funny or Die. Today on our show, we'll talk with these Native comedians who are gaining recognition for their work. We'll hear about their craft and creative force. We also want to hear from you. Have you ever performed stand-up or gotten on stage for an open mic night? What do you admire most about people with a gift for making us laugh? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE, and our phone lines are open now. Joining us now from Los Angeles, California, is Brian Bahi. He is a comedian and a writer. He is Tahona Autumn, Hopi, and Navajo. Hello, Brian. Welcome to Native America Calling. Yes, hey, how are you? I am doing well. Yate to you as well, Brian. Joining us from Ottawa, Ontario in Canada is Janelle Niles. She is a stand-up comedian and a creator and producer of Got Land. She is Mi'kmaq. Hello, Janelle. Welcome to our show as well. I'm just so happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show, Janelle. And also joining us from L.A. is Joey Clift. He is a comedian and an Emmy 
nominated producer and television writer. He's an enrolled Cowlitz Indian tribal member. Hi, Joey. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. I don't know how to say hello in Cowlitz, so I'm just going to say stuff. <laughs> Sup to you, Joey. Sup to you. Brian, I want to go ahead and start with you today. And first off, congratulations. You've been recognized by Vulture as one of 25 comedians to know. Big honor. Were you surprised when you heard the news? Um, yeah, I was. I am always shocked anytime anybody knows who I am. So this was it was uh, a very cool uh thing to you know, to be on a list. You're being modest. You're being really modest, Brian. <laughs> Shocked when people don't know, first know who you are. But, I mean, you've been featured on a lot of high-profile media formats. Now, you've been on NPR, CNN, Comedy Central. So you're definitely getting a lot of momentum, and people are gravitating to your humor. What do you think it is about your style that people like? Uh, um, I think... Uh... I don't know. That's a good question. I, that's really, I feel like I am, um, I don't know. I think it is, it has a lot to do with maybe that I'm just like, I'm nothing and everything at once. <laughs> I feel like I just, I try to talk about stuff that's specific to me, but also try to say it in a way that's relatable to anybody. So you kind of like, you don't need to have my exact same lived experience in order to like, find what I'm talking about interesting or funny. And um, maybe that has something to do with it. I mentioned this to you earlier, but like when I started doing comedy in New York, you start like at these open mics and like these tiny like bar shows with like five to 10 people in it, in the audience maybe. Um, and they're all just like, New York is just full of just like so many different people from so many different backgrounds. So in order to like get them on the, the same page as you and to like have them understand like where your setups and punchlines are, you kind of just like have to lay everything out in a way that does kind of instantaneously like get both of you like on the same page. And I think that was, that takes work. Like obviously I bombed so much for so long for like many years, just like zero laughs. Um, but I, you know, you, it's a kind of like a muscle or a skill that you develop in terms of just like getting, uh, people to be like, to, you know, find that common ground, um, immediately. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're all just like humans. So it's just like, it's, it's, uh, it's not too difficult, but maybe it is. I don't know. Well, you've really tapped into something because I noticed that from your humor. I mean, there are native elements, but uh, it's a little bit more nuanced. It's a little bit more subtle. You just kind of throw these little references out, but it's just got, it's just so relatable to, to people on so many levels. And like you mentioned, I mean, the, the language of laughter, I think, is universal uh, for all practical purposes. So, Brian, let's listen to a short snippet from one of your stand-ups. And this was recorded at the 2022 Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. You're talking about land acknowledgments. I think it's great that land acknowledgments are becoming more commonplace, you know? However, I do think there is a time and place for land acknowledgments, and one of those times and places is not on Zoom. <laughs> I was working for a company for like most of the lockdown, and the head of HR, who's very much not indigenous, started doing land acknowledgments during our weekly Zoom check-in meetings. 
And there was one meeting where he was like zooming in from his five bedroom home in upstate New York and he's shouting into his camera, sorry if it's difficult to hear me, I can't figure out how to turn off my indoor waterfall. <laughs> we are on Lenape land. <laughs> I feel like land acknowledgements are gonna get co-opted by corporations very much like gay pride. I'm dreading the day that I walk into like a Warby Parker and there's like a huge banner and it's just like, we're on stolen land. <laughs> and then right below that, it's like, you know what else is a steal? Two frames for $49. <laughs> because I will fully walk out of there with four frames. <laughs> <laughs> that is a clip from one of Brian Bahi's stand-up shows. And Brian, you also did a video with CNN about land acknowledgments. And I always get a kick out of any time. I mean, what's the answer with these land acknowledgments? Because I meet so many Native people and people are like split. Like half the people I meet are like, yeah, they're cool. I love them. And other people are like, man, I'm not feeling those land acknowledgments. So where are we at here, Brian? Um, I, I agree. I think, yeah, I did a video like a... I guess it's called like a video op-ed with CNN um, about land acknowledgements. They gave me like a bunch of research about it and it is, the research is also split too. Like no, some people are, a lot of people think that like they're good. It's, you know, it's a good like first step towards, you know, something. Um, and uh uh, there are other people, other natives who are like, it's it's an empty gesture and um, it's ultimately like just doesn't serve any purpose. And uh, I, I tend to, I go back and forth sometimes. I think it's, I think it is a move in the right direction, but I do think that like it needs to, it is a good first step, but we need to start figuring out figuring out what that second step is going to be, and um, and I think that like land acknowledgments have been in like the culture long enough that we can we need to start talking about what that second step is and like how to go about it, and um, otherwise it's just gonna you know it's gonna be a rote kind of just like thing right. that nobody uh really <laughs> um <laughs> thinks that hard about uh yeah I, I always feel when i when i hear them i always feel like well if you feel that strongly just give it back that, that'll make it <laughs> can make it all exactly. so much easier but right? i just can't imagine well, is... doing it from the pov of like a non-native person like a non-native person doing a landing alternate it's just kind of like what is your end game like what do you really why are you really yeah. doing that i think right right well, what are some of your other favorite topics brian um i think a lot of my topics are just like personal experiences uh which is both good and bad i feel like my i grew up in phoenix arizona and then i moved uh to new york um kind of a little bit after college and then I uh you know I'm being a native person in like the city you know being um being gay in the city like all of these things kind of like influence like these like experience like, these life experiences that I have and those are kind of like where all of my stand-up comes from and then I just try to like talk about that I think that's really interesting I think it's and I think that like 
my favorite thing about watching stand-up comedy is like seeing the world through like that person's perspective and I think that's what I try to do um I don't know if I always accomplish that but I that's my goal in a way is to like really just hone in on like what is it that I what is the world through like my lens and um you know that ends up taking me to like land acknowledgments um my parents and just like uh dating and stuff like that so those those you know family life dating or whatever i think are the three things that i talk about the most and brian are are you a naturally funny person? I mean, from the time you were a little kid, or or, or is your comedy something a, a skill that you've had to develop and hone throughout the years? Um, no, I was not. I mean, yeah, I thought I always thought I was hilarious. I everybody <laughs> around me probably <laughs> probably thought I was just like not. Um, and but I my I always felt like my friend. I always had funny friends in in growing up and uh we knew that we were funny even though like the world didn't didn't and so but that was kind of just like enough and uh you know once you kind of like latch onto something as like that's kind of your thing in your friend group you it it is kind of like it's in your um kind of like it just becomes a part of you like that like whether or not it's like or like being smart like that's mm -hmm. kind of like the thing that you kind of like latch onto as a kid Brian, we got to take a short break but uh we'll be right back after uh, just a short volleyball season is wrapped up for high school teams across the country and 16 college teams are currently vying for the ncaa division one women's volleyball championship Volleyball is a popular sport in Native America, often drawing huge crowds for rivalry matches or state tournaments. We'll recap the 2023 volleyball season on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. You're tuned in to Native America Calling, and we're talking with Native comedians today about what makes them laugh and getting insights about the industry they work in. So please join us with a comment or question by calling 1-800-996-2848. And reminder, you can listen back to this show and past shows on all major podcast platforms, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can listen to other types of Native programming by downloading the NV1 app on your smart device. Let's take a caller now. Chanupa, listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, thank you for having me on this uh, Comedians uh, Hour. You know, boys, I want to tell you guys something. My grandmother taught these little girls how to make cake, okay? And one day, the, the little girls were saying, Grandma, we want to learn how to make a birthday cake, but we didn't have the ingredients to make the birthday cake, Grandma said. So she said, I want you girls to shred these carrots. 
So these kids, man, they said, Carrots, that's not how you make a birthday cake. So they said, okay, Grandma, if we have to shred the carrots, we will. So they start shredding these carrot cakes. And they made all these carrots shredded enough to make the cake mixed in the batter. And when they, they got done with the cake, the little girls were, so Grandma, how did our birthday carrot cake look? And she pulled it out, and it smelled so good. These little kids say, Grandma, can we do this for all birthday cakes? They said, yeah, because there's one thing that little kids don't ever do when they work with Grandma. And they said, well, what's that? They never, ever produce their smile like you two girls. Give Grandma a hug and a kiss. And this is the moral of the story about Indian humor. Because today when they, the children cook with their grandparents or even their parents, they forget to smile how important it is to make a carrot cake. And that's how you make a long story short with humor. Mm. Thank you, Bruce, for doing what your job is. And keep it up, man, in Indian country. Wopala. And thank you, Sean, for another great day of uh, comedians coming in. Okay. All right, Chanupa, thank you very much indeed. And uh, native humor, Indian humor, it's all around us, folks. And uh, it's big up in Canada, too, where we have our next guest, Janelle Niles. And Janelle, you've been profiled by CBC and some other major media outlets up in Canada. There's a pretty strong indigenous comedy scene up in Canada. Is that right? Oh, yes, but don't call me famous. I still have three roommates. <laughs> Almost famous. How about that? Almost famous. <laughs> but yes, uh, I've been uh, doing comedy here in Canada for about uh, five years, January. Five years. So, I mean, you're still, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of comedy, Janelle, I mean, is, is that still make you a rookie? Are you a veteran? Are you, a, is that old school? I mean, how how many years is five years in, 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 the ter in terms of being an experienced comedian? I, I have no idea. So uh, I'm still labeled as an open micer here in the, in the nation's capital of Ottawa. But uh, outside of here, I tour and I headline and I middle. Um, it's just uh, you cannot become a prophet in your hometown. So five years means I'm still green. I'm still new. And what inspired you that very first time to step on stage and, and start sharing your comedy? Well, I was born political, and uh, I always knew that uh, I healed through humor. And I'm like, I'm going to put both of those together because that's what I want to do. I want to be able to talk to people, also make them laugh, uh, even though there's a message. So I went to a bunch of comedy shows, talked to a couple comedians. They showed me a Facebook group. They got onto an open mic, and then, boom, I uh, got my six minutes, and I did a bunch of Indigenous jokes. No one laughed, but I kept going on because I made fun of a bannock butt, and I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how did that feel? I mean, if nobody laughed, I mean, that must have been been harsh. Did you ever have any doubts? Like, ah, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, or just you just went for it anyways. Oh well, I uh, I have that uh, knowledge that it takes time. It takes time to um, become funny. Like the ones who are funny right away, those are unicorns. You have to develop a practice. You have to develop um, your uh, your muscles because you're talking through your fight or flight mechanism. So um, just like Brian said, like, yeah, I bombed for the first couple of years, but um, I realized uh, these little open mics, they're not there um, to get that audience reaction. They're there to uh, get those comedy muscles to learn how to speak up there, to talk through those nerves. And then when I was in full audience mode with a full audience, boom, they started laughing. I'm like, ah, there they are. 
And Janelle, to do a short five or six minute routine on an open night, mic night like that, like how much time does it take to put all that material together? There must be hours invested in that. So uh, it actually takes years to build up an act. Uh, my first two years, my first 10 minutes ever, I did on CBC, New Wave of Stand Up. So then I had to rewrite a whole new act because I burnt my material on TV. So it took me a long time, I think uh, now three years, to develop a new, an extra 25 minutes. And now that's the one I take on the road. But because I do open mics that are five to six minutes, I just take that 25 and be like, okay, what do I want to tackle today? Okay, water issues, talk about being too spirited, boom, boom, boom. And then I condense it down and I say it on TV. Oh, sorry, I say it at the open mic. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of different ways you can go according to your audience. You've got like almost like little tracks that you can tap into as a comedian. And let's hear a snippet from one of your sets that was featured on CBC's New Wave of Stand Up Season 2. This is you talking about your spirit name. My name is Janelle Niles, and I'm a First Nations Mi'kmaq woman from Sipikanakadik, Nova Scotia. Thank you. And my spirit name is First Rays of the Sun Woman. But my parents like to call me, hey, go back to bed. <laughs> but First Rays of the Sun Woman, that's a long spirit name, eh? Normally you get like Fish Boy. <laughs> or Bear With Me. <laughs> but I think the creator named me that. Because every morning, at the crack of dawn, I go outside and I sing my traditional indigenous morning song. <laughs> Gotta love that Lion King reference there, Janelle. And Janelle, how much of your, your stand-up centers on, on your indigenous heritage? Have you ever done a routine where you just go up there and you make no references at all to being an indigenous person? Yes, I actually have a couple different sets because um, my indigenous comedy, I created Gotland Indigenous Comedy Show. I do a lot of indigenous comedy, but I do have another set. However, that set is a gallows humor set. I go really, really dark, and there's nothing indigenous about it. It's just um, trying to develop that audience. I really want to get to New York. I really want to get down there because they'll probably appreciate uh, that uh, dark style humor I want to do. But um, sometimes I incorporate both in. Like, I don't just do one or the other. I try to sneak uh, a line in there in my new wave of stand-up. I actually added my... Um, uh, uh, a line. I'm not going to spoil it. You'll have to see it. But at the end, I, I do something, a non-Indigenous joke, um, but it's real dark. Um, but I also wanted to say that I actually said my nation wrong there in that clip because they changed it from Shibanakity to Sabaganagity. But I was saying it like it was spelt. And hola, oh. my nation ripped me a new one. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine you got to be careful up there when it comes to jokes and, and just getting things right. And in, in New York, Janelle, is that, I mean, is that ultimately where everybody has to go to kind of prove themselves as comedians to, to the big city like that? 
Yes, it's uh, New York today, and now apparently Austin. I would love to perform at the Mothership. And uh, L.A. Uh, was a big one with the Comedy Store. So, like, my dream is to get down to the States and uh, perform with the greats. But I know I probably have another 10 years uh, to wait and get to that point where I'm undeniably funny. Um, it's really hard being an indigenous uh, woman, two-spirited comic, because like some the, uh, before I used to say I have to work twice as hard to be half as good, but now I have to work five times as hard to be half as good because people think I'm just getting these opportunities because I'm a minority, and it's really hard to uh, work through that stigma. Well, tell us more about Gotland. How did that project come about? So Gotland Indigenous Comedy Show, we express solidarity through humor, and I was uh, doing comedy here in Ottawa. I think I was maybe six months in, and I realized there's a lot of Indigenous comedians here. Why is it just me, Don Kelly, and Jen Hayward being booked, only three of us, when there's more? And I was doing themed open mics uh, every week. I had a theme, and I was like, oh, why don't we just have an Indigenous comedy show? This is the best time to do it. And I brought everyone together, and I was like, okay, what should we call this indigenous comedy show? Uh, and I, we had all these long convoluted names and I was like, Oh no, we have to do something short and sweet like uh, got land. And then got land was born. We were only going to do a one-off. Uh, it was just going to be a theme show, but we packed that open mic wall to wall people. APTN was there. Oh, every native was there. You know, I should have brought pride bread, but, uh, everyone came up to me afterwards, and they're like, oh, when's the next one? And then Gotland was born. And about how many performers do you have as part of Gotland? So right now we have 34 comedians across Turtle Island, and we grow. And what we do is we do not um, disparage depending on how much time you have as a comedian. We like people uh, to come in, uh, either aspiring, amateur, middling, Pro, anybody can join Gotland because every Indigenous comedian to me is a Gotland comedian. So we have 34 right now on our roster, and we're growing day by day. And Janelle, do you offer like any coaching or anything like like for somebody listening right now? Is like, geez, I'd like to try an open mic night, but I'm terrified. I don't know what I talk about. I don't have any idea how to create a routine. Is there places where people can go? Native people can learn some of this stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, people can just message me. I do it all the time here in Ottawa, even at open mics, even non-Indigenous people. Uh, people are like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm like, here, let me sit down. Let me tell you, because I wish somebody sat down with me as a new comedian and told me these things. So I, uh, if you want to reach out, like you can also go to an open mic and maybe talk to a veteran of comedy. A lot of people are willing to tell you how to uh, the tricks of the trade. It's just uh, allowing yourself to ask that question. Uh, it's no longer like back in the 90s where you're, you're an amateur, so you have to keep your head down around these veterans. Sometimes it's just as easy as uh, asking the question, and what's the worst they can say? No, bah, get over it. <laughs> and, and, you know, what do you think it is about your humor that, that resonates with both Native and, and non-Native audiences alike? Uh, like my mandate says, we're expressing solidarity through humor. So we're opening up a conversation. I think the Idle No More movement here in uh, Turtle Island, up here in the north, for allowing us to have a voice, giving ourselves permission to speak about the atrocities. And the rest of Canada is actually, they're like, yeah, we actually want to know, uh, because a lot of the stuff was hidden from them. And uh, with comedy, uh, they're not like laughing at 
the issues they're we're shedding light um, or calling attention. Sorry, we're not shedding light. We're calling attention to the issues, and people want to hear that. People want to know. And some people are like, "Oh, you're educational." I'm like, "Yeah, but uh, was I funny? <laughs> I'm trying to make you laugh with me." And uh, and just like George Carlin did, it's just like you learn something, but you're also laughing with them, and that actually, I think. Uh, connects a different uh, wire in your brain when you laugh uh, with somebody you learn in a different way you mentioned george carlin who are some of your other comedy influences janelle uh paul mooney uh, monique richard pryor uh, and definitely charlie hill and uh, candy palmiter um i'm the next uh, female Mi'kmaq comedian to come out the east coast here in turtle island and candy unfortunately passed away a couple years ago so i'm trying to fill her shoes and she was raunchy and dirty and political and i'm like i'm 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 coming right up candy and i just i just hope i can do her proud you know uh-huh. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons people are so fearful to try comedy is that everybody's got that fear of, you know, the heckler that just rides you up there on stage. And how do you deal with that when you have somebody in the audience that's just is, is trying to give you problems? You have to listen. You have to listen what the heckler's intent is. Because sometimes they, I, I have good hecklers. People like after I say something, right before I hit the punchline, they're like, yes, you go, girl, you say that. And sometimes you get that bad heckler who's all like, why are you talking about that next, next? So you have to listen to the heckler to find their intention, to find that thing in the back of your pocket to kind of squander it. I, unfortunately, just like Louis C.K. back in the day, if somebody uh, yells out at me, I kind of like, and then I forget my place. So I uh, I have to learn to kind of uh, find out what the heckler's motive is and then try to work mm-hmm. with it. And I do a lot of facial expressions on stage, so I can just stare at somebody with, a, like, an eyebrow raised, and I'm like, mm-hmm, and then the whole, and then it gives me a second to think, and then the crowd is also on board, so. It's all depending. Every single heckler is different. Okay. Brian, I want to get your thoughts with regard to hecklers and just some of the challenges that you have up on stage. Because I always wonder, like sometimes I watch comedians and their responses are so perfect to hecklers. I almost think, is this set up? Is this like a real heckler? Or did they just bring them in as part of the act? Because it's just so smooth how how comedians can just twist and just redirect like that. What's your thought? Um. I mean, I don't have a ton of hecklers, I feel like, uh, but I do think that, like, yeah, it's kind of, if you're heckling, you're already, like, the, everybody already hates you, and so the audience especially, <laughs> the audience included, and so it's, like, you can basically come back to a heckler with anything, and, like, it will be a burn in a way, and that's kind of, that honestly makes it fun. Um, yeah, I think, like, heckling is, like, it's, uh, I don't know. At this point, it's kind of a crowd work in a way. I know crowd work is just, like, really popular right now, and it's just, like, talking to people, um, you know, talking to the audience. And so that kind of, like, feels heckling has now turned into crowd work. And so, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it, it can't really go that wrong. You're, you're going to, it'll be fun either way if you're, if you're a comedian on stage, I think. We are talking today with native comedians on the show. We have Brian Bahi. He's in Los Angeles, California, uh, Tahana Autumn, Hopi and Navajo. We've also got Janelle Niles, who's up in Ontario 
in Ottawa, in fact, and does a lot of open mic nights and also works with uh, a whole uh, movement to get other young uh, people involved with comedy and also provides opportunities for Native people who want to learn more about comedy to, to take action and learn a little bit about what goes into creating a routine and being funny on stage and being an actual comedian. And we've also got Joey Clift, who's in Los Angeles, California. And we're going to hear from Joey after this next break, and we're going to learn a little bit about Joey's work, uh, writing for television and doing production work, and also uh, the Emmy that Joey's been nominated for. So stay with us. And if you'd like to give a shout out to one of our guests today or share any type of information, uh, any story you have with regard to native comedy, phone lines are still open. The number is 1-800-996-2848. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at sweetgrasstradingco.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling, and there is still time to join this conversation with Native comedians by dialing 1-800-996-2848 or just tapping 1-800-996-2848 on your smartphone. Give them a shout-out or ask a question, 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got Joey Clift on the line in Los Angeles, California, a comedian and an Emmy-nominated producer and television writer. Joey, thank you again for joining us today, and congratulations on your Emmy nod. It sounds like you've had a really good year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm so excited about it. That was for uh, Spirit Rangers on Netflix. Uh, Just really quick, I wanted to uh, comment on something that Janelle said about, like, being a little bit worried about um, mispronouncing those tribes' name and getting some slack for it. I think that, like, I've performed, like, I've performed and done a lot of, like, high-profile stuff, but for me, it's like, that's the, like, I'm always worried about, like, oh, I hope my tribe likes what I'm doing. And for me, it was, like, a big I made it moment when my tribe followed me on Instagram. <laughs> so, like, I totally get that. <laughs> Do you ever uh, make fun of your own tribe or, or just, like, your own specific culture, make little jabs at it at all? Or, or is that kind of off limits for you? Yeah. So I think that, like, I think that, you know, when you're a comedian, I don't think that there's anything off limits if you handle it in a way that feels funny and like you're speaking to some comedic truth or something like that. So it's like, yeah, I've definitely like, you know, thrown some like, you know, like lighthearted jabs about, you know, like Coastal Salish and Cowlitz stuff for sure. Well, Joey, we heard Janelle also mention Charlie Hill, and, and I hear a lot of times Native comedians will f- refer to, to Charlie as just, you know, really the grandfather, the the ultimate model of, of a Native comedian. But, but how do you think Native comedy has evolved over the years, like since the time when Charlie Hill got started until the present? Yeah, so, like, for me, I think that Charlie Hill, like, I I missed him just a little bit. He was He was a guy that was really big in, like, the 70s and 80s. I was kind of, you know, like starting to really like get into comedy in the 90s. And that was kind of like, um, that was a little bit after like his like Richard Pryor days. 
so for me, like growing up, I just didn't see any native comedians on TV. So I didn't like think I was allowed to work in comedy. Um, so I went to school to be like a small market TV weather guy because I figured they like, you know, got to be paid to crack jokes and it made sense the way I'd get paid making people laugh. So like I went from that, like not even thinking I was allowed to work in comedy because I didn't see any native comedians on TV to now, you know, like 2023, like I feel like I can't even count the amount of like native comedians who are doing it from the open mic level to the touring level to the, you know, to the the level of doing like, you know, big, big, big spots like, you know, folks like Brian and Janelle. And, um, you know, it's really exploded. And I think it's due to like, um, you know, just more visibility about like native issues in the States. So, you know, things like reservation dogs and Rutherford Falls really like elevating native comedy is something that can exist in mainstream spaces. Like, you know, folks like, you know, myself and Brian getting opportunities at places like, you know, Comedy Central and stuff like that. And it's just like, like, I think that even in 2018, I feel like I could name every native comedian actively doing it off the top of my head. And now it's like, I feel like every week I'll see like a native stand-up comedy showcase in like Oklahoma advertised on Instagram. And I'm like, who are these people? That rocks. They must be new. And that's awesome. They're trying it, you know? Well, Joy, what changed for you from, from feeling like, hey, this wasn't a place for you, no natives doing comedy, to now being a professional working in the industry full time? So uh, honestly, like like I mentioned, I went to school to be like a small market TV weather guy, and I like worked really hard at that, and you know really thought that was going to be my career path to like you know report the weather in like Post Falls, Idaho, or something. Um, while I was doing that, I did a lot of you know stand up comedy, like hosting college TV shows, doing college radio, and stuff like that. And like I did it because I enjoyed doing it, but I also like thought, oh, this is going to like help me all this on camera and on stage experience for my eventual career, you know, like reporting the weather in a small town. And it wasn't until like um, a college TV show that I wrote, produced and co-started and won this like big national college comedy award that I was like, maybe, maybe I could like do this as a career. And a bunch of my professors kind of pulled me aside and said the same thing of like, you could be a TV reporter, but it's clear that comedy is the thing that you want to do. Um, so that was about 13 years ago. And then I moved to LA, you know, just dove into the LA comedy scene with both feet after that and worked my way up. And now I'm Emmy nominated, which is crazy. <laughs> and did you take time to develop any weather jokes uh, along the way, Joey, or have you stayed clear of that low hanging fruit? Oh, uh, so, okay. So like, I feel like I was more of when I was a weather guy, I feel like I was more of like a catchphrase person and I would try to find ways to like name drop like local people in the community um just like you know like this uh you know like this weather forecast is windier than you know a college lecture from this professor or something you know like kind of like lighthearted jokes like that <laughs> and, stuff. and then um and like I, and I i feel like i like that's when i kind of think i figured out how to like roast people without getting them mad at me because <laughs> i would always like you know go to that person's class afterwards they'd be like hey thanks for the cool joke i appreciate the shout out so um but no not right now it's like i feel like you know it's uh I, I don't think I incorporate as many weather jokes as I maybe could uh, into my, uh, you know, into my comedy stuff. I live in Los Angeles. The weather is fantastic. I don't need to joke about it. It's great here. <laughs> well, Joey, let's take a listen to an audio short that you wrote and directed. This is one that's called Telling People You're Native American When You're Not Native is a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear. Let's take a listen. Telling people you're Native American when you're not Native is a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear. 
If you tell a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear, you will get mauled by that bear. If you wear the traditional clothing of a bear when telling a bear that you are also a bear, you'll get mauled by that bear. If you tell a bear you're one sixteenth bear, but you don't know what kind of bear, and you've never bothered to research your bear culture, and yet you think you have more right to an opinion about bear issues than the actual bear standing in front of you, you're gonna get mauled by that bear. If you make products with a bear's face on it, and even though you've made a billion dollars off of it and the bear has clearly said they don't like it, and you don't give any of the money you've earned to bears in need until you're guilted into it decades after you started doing it, you and that bear are fine. Uh, Just kidding. You're going to get mauled by that bear. <laughs> if you tell a bear that lions are your spirit animal, you're going to get mauled by that bear. <laughs> and the lion. If you, a non-bear, make friends with a bear, learn their bear culture and language, and then get mad when the bear doesn't ask you to be a member of their bear clan or give you a bear naming ceremony, you're going to get mauled by that bear. Also, bears don't have naming ceremonies, so that request is stupid. And if you tell people you're a bear, even though you know full well that you're not a bear just to get jobs and opportunities that are set aside for bears, you're going to get mauled by a butterfly. The bear would maul you, but he's in a business meeting. Wait, meeting's over. Hey, I thought we were done. Ouch, though! So, in conclusion, if you're cool to Native Americans, you will not get mauled by a bear. The end. No white guys were harmed in the making of this short. That's us. <laughs> that was an animated short by Joey Clifton. Joey, what's the formula for an animated short like this? Because it seems like it's a very different approach than creating a stand-up routine like we've been talking about with Brian and Janelle. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and um, uh, once again, uh, apologies for how long the name of that short is. When I when I came <laughs> up with the name for it, I did not think I was going to have to say it or anybody else was going to say it that, that often. And um, definitely shout out to Jason Gracefully, the super funny Blackfeet actor who provided the voice for that. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, I think that for me, like, ultimately as a comedian, you're kind of following what makes you laugh, right? So, like, I think that um, what I like about something like that, like an animated short or a short film, as opposed to stand-up, is it's a little bit more, you can be a little bit more precise with it. Um, you know, with stand-up, you are working with, like, you know, uh, things like crowd work, like hecklers, um, just, uh, you know, like um, measuring the energy of the room. Whereas what I like about shorts is it's sort of like, I've made this thing that I, like, am pretty confident that it's good. I can put it out into the world and know that, like, you know, like, that there's, there's not going to be like anything to really interrupt the flow of what I'm doing. Um, that like, I think that like I'm somebody that came up through live comedy places like, you know, the Upright Citizens Brigade theater and stuff like that, doing a lot of improv and sketch. And I definitely like have a lot of fun doing that, but I think that like, I just appreciate with shorts, specifically animated shorts, how like meticulous you can get with everything. And all the different TV shows that you've written for Joey, Spirit Rangers, Molly of Denali, you've done stuff with Comedy Central. I mean, where does that inspiration come from? And and how do you write in a funny way for a television show as opposed to being on stage? It just seems like such a different type of process. 
Yeah, so um, if you're writing on a TV show, ultimately, like, your comedic voice is supposed to serve the, the showrunner or the creator of the show. Like, when you're a writer in the writer's room, it's kind of like you're basically – your, like, comedy brain is being put in a room with, like, eight other people's comedy brains, and sort of the, the stew that comes out of that is the show. So um, I think that for me in writer's rooms, it's a mix of um, pitching things that genuinely make you laugh and then – figuring out how you can sort of tweak that to make it work for the show. So like, you know, I'm somebody that like Spirit Rangers is a show for like a younger audience, like um, sort of like age four to seven. And I came up, you know, doing edgy alt comedy stuff. So for Spirit Rangers, a lot of the process for me is I would just say the most like, you know, like blue, dark joke as possible in the writer's room. And then everybody would laugh and they'd be like, OK, how do we make that work for five year olds? You know, <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, it's just you, you bring your comedic voice to the thing that you're doing. And then, like, you know, you'll figure out how to synthesize that for the specific characters of the show and the audience and all that stuff. So it's, it's more of a collaborative mm -hmm. process than just, you know, doing stand up or you know, making that short where it's like, that's just exactly what I want on screen or on stage or whatever. Right. Well, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, so we watch a lot of Spirit Rangers. She's a big fan of Molly, of Denali, and uh, those are just great shows. And congratulations again on all your work. And I understand you're also a big Garfield fan, and, and there's a new Garfield movie coming out. Oh, oh I didn't think I was going to be roasted on or put on the spot on uh, Garfield thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, 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 I love Garfield. That's the thing that I love about, like, I feel like a conversation that we're having a lot right now is, like, what is Native comedy? Specifically, like, kind of non-Natives will, will ask that question a lot just because, like, you know, we're kind of uh, fairly new to a lot of Native voices getting an opportunity in mainstream spaces. And I like to think about it as, like, like all three of us that are on this show, like me, Janelle, and Brian, like, we all have such different things that we write jokes about and that we make fun of and you know that we focus on as our just like unique perspective or whatever and like all of those things count as native comedy like um you know brian doing a super funny joke about like land acknowledgements is just as much native comedy as me just like talking about how it's weird that garfield eats lasagna with his hands you know like it's like all those things count as native comedy yeah it I totally agree. And I think of like the different tribes, like I think of like uh, the way like some of the comedy works in the Pueblo villages and just it's it's different. So unique, so unique for each tribe in, in terms of what makes people laugh and how people relate to one another through comedy. And Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also did a little bit of professional wrestling, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah yeah i'm excited to talk about this yeah so uh earlier this year i uh wrestled my first and probably only professional wrestling match um okay. i um I, i'm like i'm a very so this is radio so you can't see me but I'm, I'm a fairly like skinny person so i knew i was gonna wrestle this match it was in march i knew i was gonna wrestle it in january and i didn't want what was funny about the match to be how like breakable and weak i look <laughs> So I like started working out with a personal trainer in January to like just basically get muscular and stuff. And now like I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle with fitness becoming my whole personality. <laughs> like I'm very opinionated about protein shakes. Also on that wrestling match, uh, we did not win the match. Maybe a big reason for that is that we spent more time trying to figure out what our ring gear was going to be what like, and what our entrance music was going to be than we did learning how to actually wrestle. But it was a super fun match, and I definitely, you know, like I, I'm a big pro wrestling fan, so it was a dream come true to get to do that. Well, and what led to that opportunity? 
So uh, what led to that opportunity is just, you know, I'd say like it's just a lust for blood generally. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, what led to that opportunity is um, there's the, the L.A. comedy scene is really interesting in that, like, there's a little bit of bleed over between the L.A. comedy scene and the L.A. wrestling scene. There are some comedians. There are like a couple comedians that do wrestling and there are a couple of wrestlers who do comedy. So through that, just being somebody who's just like loudly a big pro wrestling fan. I sort of, you know, have friends who are with, I'm friends with a bunch of wrestlers. Some wrestle for like, you know, WWE and AEW and different big promotions. And um, the opportunity to, came, to do the show came around um, and from like a friend of mine who was booking the show. And uh, he asked if I wanted to like, you know, wrestle a match or do something on the show. And I immediately was like, I want to wrestle a match. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> that's definitely, the, okay. you know, like if I just went there and did stand up, that would not feel like it served the purpose of like this being a big pro wrestling show. So, um, you know, like, so it just kind of came out through like LA comedy connections and it was amazing. I like, I choke slammed a 300 pound man onto like a pile of, a pile of like plastic Lego hats. And then I, and then I like celebrated, like I won the Super Bowl and forgot to like try to pin him. So maybe that's the reason to win the match. <laughs> well, this all makes sense though, because I remember way back in the eighties, Andy Kaufman was doing wrestling stuff. Yeah. So I, 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 this connection you're describing makes a lot of sense. Joey, we're going to have to wrap up the show here in just about another minute, but just for anybody listening today, that's feeling inspired by you and Brian and Janelle, and just thinking about taking that first step, going to an open mic night, trying out a little bit of humor or comedy. What do you suggest? What words of advice can you offer? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I guess I would say that, like, um, so there are definitely more Native people doing, you know, like, I would say, you know, stand-up comedy, performative comedy than there probably ever has been. But, like, we could always use more people. Like, you know, like, all of us are, you know, developing our, our own, you know, TV shows and properties and things like that. And, like, if our shows get greenlit, we're going to need funny Native people to work on them, you know? So, like, I think that there are definitely opportunities out there for Native comedians there's like a desire to hear a native perspective from like, you know, native audiences, but also non-native audiences. I mean, that's something that like I really love seeing is like folks like Adrian Shalapai, like selling out, you know, 3000 seat like theaters based on her comedy. Um, so, you know, I would say there's, there's definitely a thirst for it right now. And then as far as just like giving it a shot, like give yourself permission to suck. Like, you know, Brian was talking about, you know, earlier, about how, like, you know, for on open mics for the first couple of years, he just, like, wasn't in the tunnel laughs. And that was definitely the case for me, too, is, like, trying to figure out how I could translate, like, you know, me saying All funny right. jokes in the back of the class in high school to that. So, yeah, <laughs> Joey, I'm, I'm, it's okay to suck. All right, all right. I'm sorry we're out of time, Joey, but thank you as well as Brian and Janelle for joining us today to talk some Native comedy. And please tune in again to NAC tomorrow. We'll talk Native sports with a show dedicated to volleyball. Hope you'll tune in. This holiday season, you're not alone. If you're in recovery from alcohol, the festive time of year may be challenging, but we have a community of support. Recover Alaska has resources for yourself or loved ones, including screenings, inspiring stories, and treatment options. Help spread the word and keep the movement going by making a donation. Learn more at recoveralaska.org.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.